Good morning. Welcome to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. Might seem like a strange song on the surface for the topic that we're going to hit today. But when you really think about it, it's not. Because i got a special guest who has been through it all. And she has come out the other end. Today we're going to talk about domestic violence. We talked a few months ago about it. And there was a woman named Janet. That's not her real name, but that's the name she's using. She came on as a representative of a woman's place in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Great organization. They help women trying to get out of those situations, transitioning out. They help their children. Excellent place. Janet uh, agreed to come back on and give more of her story. And the reason I chose that song by Diana Ross, uh, besides the fact that I, I like her, reminds me of seventh grade, uh, I think I think it's a perfect song for someone who has come through so much. It's got to be like a rebirth, and we're going to find out. I don't want to put words in Janet's mouth, but in my opinion, uh, it would be like a rebirth. Uh, someone who's just, that's it, I've come through it, a new confidence, and I'm going to move forward. So that is why I chose it. And I want to first welcome, um, Ifeoma, are you there? I'm here. Good morning. Morning. Uh, Ifeoma is the uh, executive director uh, of a woman's place in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. And uh, she has, again, she'll be sitting in while Janet talks about her experiences. Janet, are you there? Hi, yes. Thanks for having us. Uh, Janet, thank you for coming back on. I really appreciate it. It takes a lot of courage uh, to do what you're doing. I have a tremendous amount of respect for you. And uh, I told both my daughters to listen in today because really domestic violence doesn't know uh, class. It doesn't know economics. It doesn't know race. It doesn't know anything, really. It, it is what it is. It could be anyone any woman who experiences this, correct? Yeah. So, you know, we look at, like right now, Ray Rice, and if you know, I'll ask you this, because as the executive director of, um, of a woman's place, I think you can better answer this one. Has the Ray Rice situation, uh, because it was caught on tape, more or less, and there was a piece of the tape that was omitted, it appeared, you know, that's kind of, it played out, but is that case... That situation uh, uh, been a positive thing for your organization? Has it brought more women uh, seeking to get out of those relationships? Uh, I think it's been positive in that it's definitely helped propel domestic violence into more of a national conversation. And, um, and I think, you know, it's definitely... You know, we don't get a lot of airtime during the Super Bowl normally, and yeah. this year we did, and so that's a wonderful thing. And so I think that awareness is, is really, really important. Um, I think in some cases it's, there are people who are reaching out and talking about it. I think that in other cases it's brought out public interest in figuring out how to support the issue and um, wanting to help organizations further their reach. Um, and I think it's also, you know, it's been a mixed bag in the sense that I think for some, the way it was handled makes people wonder, what's the point of saying anything? Because you know, maybe he got away with he got away with it in some ways. I don't know that people, everybody would agree that his punishment fit um, his crime. And um, and frankly, I think some of the treatment of Janae Rice was really really harsh, and it almost re-victimized the victim. So, you know, I think it's been a mixed situation. I think. The overall win in it is that people are at least discussing it, and it's important that we keep it in the public debate and that those conversations happen. This is this was such a public situation, obviously. I mean, caught on tape. Usually, you don't catch domestic violence on tape. You might hear in the background uh, during a 911 call. Uh, some abuse going on, yelling, screaming, whatever it may be. Someone leaves a violent voicemail message, whatever. This was really different because it was caught on tape. Uh, I wonder, and I didn't ask this the last time we talked, but I'm curious, can someone like Ray Rice in this situation, can he be forgiven? Can he be forgiven by his wife, um, by society, 
does this have to be something that everyone's going to remember the first time they see Ray Rice or they're sitting across from him in a business meeting? Uh, does it have to be the first thing they think of? Is there a future for him? Oh, I think Ray Rice will bounce back fine. I'm really not too worried about Ray Rice. Um, and I'm not quite sure, you know, it's hard for me to kind of separate my personal feelings mm-hmm. towards the situation, so I'll at least preface my answer with that. Okay. I think that I think that he will be fine. I think that he will find some place where he will work again and his life will go on. I'm not sure that this I'm not sure that we as a society are going to let this be the thing that destroys Ray Rice. I think that, um, you know, if people think about it when they sit down in a business meeting with him, that that's a good thing. Um, and I think it's something that we, we, should, we shouldn't forget about it. We should remember those incidents and, and then figure out how to be better as a society because of it. Um, I think that his wife may very well forgive him. I think the key piece that people tend to forget in situations like this is I believe she probably loved him. Yeah. And, you know, that it's not, you know, so frequently people just think that, you know, they hate this abuser and they're desperate to figure out how to get out. And I think that what is often happening is that people, like this is somebody that they love and they want the violence to stop and they want the relationship to be safe and better and what they imagined it could be. And especially when there's children involved, and in her case, she has a child with him, you know, who doesn't want their family to be together and happy? And um, and so I think, sure, it's incredibly likely that she will try to forgive him and she'll try to figure out what she can do to make it better. Um, and the question will really be whether or not he takes accountability for his actions and if um, we as a community decide that it's important to hold people accountable. So counseling, I mean, it's definitely the key to this, but you have to be committed to the counseling, correct? I mean, you, this has to be, you have to be all in. There can't be a piece of you, if you're an abuser, who believes somewhere inside themselves that, hey, she deserved it, hey, she pushed me too far, it was a bad day, whatever. There has to be total accountability, totally in with the program, correct? Absolutely. That's what I feel. That's and again, I think a lot of men. Everyone's got a different rock bottom. Obviously, everyone's got a different. I'm at the bottom. This is it. I have to pick myself up. I hope for Ray Rice and his wife that this was it. I hope for a lot of different people out there, abusers, victims, who might hear this show, that they take a look at themselves in the mirror and go, "Hey, maybe it's time to get some help to look in a different direction." But Janet, getting back to you. Uh, kind of want to again just kind of get into the economics of it a little bit your your background um did you go to college were, were you already a college graduate a professional what was your background i'm a college graduate i'm i'm a professional okay so you're a professional and did you get married younger to your husband did you wait longer i waited and I actually wanted to comment on something that Ithilma just mentioned about Ray Rice and his wife being uh, and his wife being um, judged harshly. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to add to that because obviously I, I can relate and identify. I spoke to a family member about this case yesterday, and my uh, I was really shocked at my family member's response and what she said. Well, why would she go back? I mean, she wasn't even married at the time, and then she married the guy, and it was only one time. And I was completely taken aback because, hello, do you know what just happened to me? And um, my family member continued to say, well, it takes two to tango. Ah, you know, I've been married 20 years, going on 21 years. I can say the same thing. I guess it takes two to tango, but what's the tango? And how far are you pushing the dance? And if and here's one of the things that I think Ifioma can probably jump in as well. It, I think sometimes people, for whatever reason, just lack empathy. Maybe it's because lack of experience, fear, because I can't imagine someone saying that to you, at least in my presence. And that must have infuriated you, Janet. Yes. My my ears were burning. I had to contain myself because I realized it's a lack of awareness, lack of education, and they're in logic. They don't understand the emotional ties and well-said love. If you almost said it, it's love. Love starts 
starts it all. Now, when you met your husband, and everything starts off with fireworks, uh, at least you hope it does, but everything's kind of there, and you're moving forward, and the sex is passionate and everything. Is this how the man, the man that was your husband, came on? Was he a passionate man? Was he a driven man? Was he telling you he wanted to love you, he wanted to protect you? Were all the things that you wanted to hear he was saying? It was Prince Charming, absolutely. Incredibly driven, passionate, very charismatic. I was the only thing, apparently, that existed in his life. None of the other girls ever mattered. I'm special. You know, he uh, really understood my insecurities and blew them up. Wow. So he was, in some ways, an expert at reading you and taking advantage of what would be your weaknesses, but you exposed those weaknesses because you were in love with the man and you thought he would protect you, correct? Correct. Wow. Did did you see anything during the courtship, anything while you were dating that would have maybe just been a brief flashbulb in your head, uh, I'm not sure if I like that, what just happened? Was there anything there? something there and you ignore it it's like the elephant in the room you just pretend it isn't there so what was it a was it verbal was it like a verbal attack uh that was there or was it was it physical before you got married no it was never physical I, i didn't get physical i would say three or four years into it the the oddity was he was very isolated when I was with him, I'm the only thing that mattered, but when I would try to get him to socialize with my family and or friends, he was incredibly standoffish, and there was always a reason, social anxiety, a, a, a plentiful list, and I just went with it because, you know, he made me feel like the most important person in the world, so I can overlook this. I can understand that. If you know, I'm going I'm to kick this to you real quick before we got to take a break. Is that common where the man it wants so much control that he can't even be in the company of her friends or family members or co-workers without giving off this, you're a pain in my ass sort of routine, like I don't want you people around here? I mean, how other better way to put it? Is that a, is that a common trait? I mean, I think how it plays out may vary slightly from one relationship to the next because everybody's individual that way. But I think that, yes, but ultimately if you're looking at really trying to maintain some level of control and that's ultimately what it's about, and then ha- you know, what happens when you introduce other people into the equation is going to become something that has to be managed because right, ultimately you, if you want to – if he wants, wanted to isolate her and he or she is trying to have socialization with – friends and family, um, then that's not really keeping her to just him. And so, you know, you can, if you create a level of discomfort in those situations, then it's less likely that she's going to create those opportunities. Or when those opportunities come up, maybe you pass and you skip and you think, oh, we'll skip the family gathering this time and maybe we'll see them later. And then over time, she it's isolation. More it's isolation. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's a it's a aggr- passive aggressive control tactic. It's. I mean, it's a. You know, you wanna you wanna make it all about you. Yeah. The, the, one of the best ways to do it is to yeah. cut everybody else out of the picture. Ladies, hold for a second. And that I believe, Jen. Let's hold for a second. We're gonna we're gonna take a break. We're gonna come back and we're gonna get dig a little deeper into this. This is fascinating. You're listening to Life on Ed. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my special guest is a woman named Janet, not her real name. She is talking about her experiences with domestic violence. Welcome back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is a woman named Janet. Not her real name. Uh, She is discussing her life experiences with domestic violence and how she was able to break away from a controlling partner and begin her own life. Hence the song, I'm Coming Out. Uh, She is sponsored by A Woman's Place, a uh, shelter in Bucks County. Uh, If you don't want to throw that back to you real quick, you guys have some uh, special events coming up uh, Saturday, June 13th. 
you're doing a walk a mile in her shoes. Men get to walk in women's heels. Am I correct on that? You are correct. So people should register today. Yeah, I saw that. The deadline. Can you give uh, the phone number for a woman's place and the website address, please? Certainly. The website address is www.awomansplace.org. And the um, hotline number here is 800-220-8116. And I see you guys have Preston Elliott as the MC. Yeah. Yeah, he's been incredibly supportive of the event. So That's excellent. We're excited about that. Anytime you guys can get any sort of positive recognition, get it out there. You're getting the word out. That's the most important thing. And uh, I think that's great. Uh, Janet, getting back to you, we were talking about how, I think you said it's for the break, that what you were experiencing was gradual. This wasn't overnight. This wasn't you got married and two days later the abuse began. This was like a, a slow isolation. Yes. And did anyone else around you see it? Family, friends, co-workers? Did you feel it coming on at all? I did feel it, and I had a few friends come and tell me, you know, are you sure you want to do this? These are some red flags. We don't see you anymore. We don't know him. Hmm. And... And I completely acknowledge that, especially today. But at the time, my devotion and my loyalty to him preceded that. Now, when you talk about your former husband, uh, he was a professional as well. He was someone that was respected. I mean, on the surface, if you saw him, you didn't see an ogre. No, absolutely. Uh, suit, tie, coupling, wow. you know, tie pin, you name it. Did he ever acknowledge at any time when, when you would ask or you would yell back during a fight, this isn't right, this isn't normal, look what you're doing, was there any recognition of it within himself? Never. It was always, you're playing the victim, it's poor you, what about me? Wow. Did he, did he have anything in his past that would, you know, maybe bring this out of him? Was there something, was there domestic violence within his own parents, as he you know, watched growing up, something that might have, I don't know, that you could look at and go, okay, I can see why this might be happening. Was there anything? Uh, yes, and I see that more now as I continue my healing. Mm -hmm. He came from a broken home, so he, in my opinion, was always recreating it and, uh, you know, putting women or, you know, specifically me on a pedestal and then after we failed certain expectations and, you know, cut us down like he did, I would say his mother. Interesting. Because so we failed him. Now, were you close to his mother at all? Was he close to his mother or his father? Did anyone from the outside get a chance to look in a little bit and go, you know, there's something wrong with my son, with my brother, we see something? Did anyone try to intervene from that end? You know, I... His siblings weren't that close to him. I, there was one sibling that was coming in and out. They would kind of hint to me, but never blatantly explain or tell me, you know, this is something's been going on. So I was, I, so I was given hints or things were alluded to, but you have to understand mm -hmm. when one person uh, tells you something and their actions by making you feel special and isolating you and you're not recognizing what they're psychologically doing to you, you form a bond. Yeah. And, and you form a level of loyalty so that no matter what anybody else does to you, you're going to believe that person that you formed the loyalty and bond with. Well, now, now was, your, was your former husband, was he married before? Yes. Okay. He had kids, correct? Correct. Okay. Did you ever talk to his ex-wife? Did she give you any insight or there wasn't? that never happened with her no that never happened so that was obviously the red flag that i i was being isolated from my family and friends gradually and i had very little contact with anything of the past and when i would bring things up saying well i don't know this about you and i don't know that about you he would say we have the rest of our lives to learn about each other why fast forward everything right now well in a way that's kind of a great answer i guess <laughs> everybody yeah. wants to push and push and here you got a gentleman saying, "Hey," or you know, a guy saying, "Hey, I let's let's kind of take it slow in that department." That's interesting, okay. 
But it's logical, so I said okay. Okay, okay, that works. So when uh, I always try to be very careful here with this. Do you remember the first time he was physical? Can you recall that? Yes. Was it something, I mean, most arguments are stupid. Let's face reality when you're married. I mean, 98% of what husband and wives or other or uh, same-sex partners fight about, and that's why I think everyone should get married, experience it. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> it's a tr- I, I don't want to exclude anybody. I don't care if you're gay, straight, bisexual. Everybody gets to experience the marriage train. That's how I see it. But the um, was there something big Maybe you could say, okay, this was a major issue that sparked it, or is it just something really stupid? It was something stupid. It was about picture frames. And, <laughs> but when he laughed out at me, he was referencing things uh, from the past, but the picture frame was the catalyst. Okay, so that, then, did you find yourselves verbally fighting more and more? Uh, throughout as the marriage went on, was this something that just kept gaining in intensity before it became physical? Yes. It, I, it, was, it was very verbal and emotional. I, I felt like a nothing. I felt like a nothing without him. Yeah, nothing without him. Wow, that's, that's, and this is why I'm glad that there's young women listening, and especially my daughters. I think this is very important. What could he have done for you at this point, because now we're at the point where it has become physical, it has been an emotional, verbal abuse for at least a few years, you still love the man, what could he have done at this moment to stop it all and start to backtrack and maybe get himself some help in order to save himself, save the marriage, and be what he promised to be to you? Do, would counseling have been the best thing? I mean, would, I mean, would that have been what he should have done right from there. And, and even if Ioma can jump in on that one, but Janet, what's your opinion? It would, it would be more than counseling, kind of similar to, to the answer if Ioma gave about Ray Rice. You first have to completely be accountable. You have to say, you know what? This is what I did. There is no story behind this. There is no she did that and my parents did that. Mm-hmm. And she and I went to counseling. And... There was never an acknowledgement of what he did. The counseling was focused on my issues. Now there was never an acknowledgement, because I've been to counseling. Nothing. No, because I've been to marriage counseling. I'll be honest about that, and hopefully both sides are getting their points in, and a good counselor will acknowledge both sides. Was that that had to have been a sign to you that hey, this might not be the best ride to be on, so to speak. I mean, it's not. It might not get any better if he can't even acknowledge what has just happened. Absolutely, uh, and let me also add that he made me feel like things, anything that was wrong in our marriage was because of me. And so the counseling, any conversation, was a bashing of me and my self worth. And I also have to say, it wasn't an accredited counselor. It was, um, and I'm not knocking it. It was yeah. pastoral counseling, and they were not equipped to handle domestic issues. Yeah, and you I, have. Was, yeah. yeah, you have to find professionals. You can't take a uh, Ford Escort, or I'm sorry, take a Ferrari uh, to a Ford dealership. It doesn't work that way. You need to have the best, especially in, under these circumstances. Janet, let me ask you: in, in the course of the marriage, what was he? blaming you for what was he saying that was this is your fault this is why i am the way i am was he saying you didn't love him enough you didn't express that love enough uh, was it things along those lines or just nitpicky things like hey you didn't pick up my socks and underwear on the floor and i'm pissed about it well it was a variety of things well one i tried to leave him before we got married Okay. And so that was the thing that was constantly brought up. The other thing is, it's funny you said about the socks. I remember watching um, the Julia Roberts movie, Sleeping with the Enemy. Yes. And that's when we first identified because he had to have the socks rolled a certain way, the laundry done a certain way. Everything had to be precise. So, so after I watched that movie and, you know, I started paying attention to the red flags and tried to leave him. And then I went back and he never let me forget it. So, okay, let's step back then. So you tried to leave him before you decided to marry him. 
Yes. What was the reason? Had something happened that was the trigger? You you had one foot out the door, and then you changed your mind. I just started seeing that I wasn't on the pedestal that I was. You know mm. that the you know I'm so wonderful, constant attention to me. All of that started deteriorating. He started becoming more withdrawn, snappy, uh, more insults and kind words, and also you know. The plates weren't done this way. The socks weren't folded this way. I didn't do laundry the right way. I can't make the bed the right way. And complete isolation. I'm a social person, and I became, you know, locked in a cage, and I just couldn't take it anymore. I can understand that. We're going to take another break. We're going to come back. We're going to continue this story. We're going to bring Ifeoma in for a little bit just to get some more information about a woman's place. You are listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my special guest is Janet, not her real name. She is discussing her experiences with domestic violence. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is a woman named Janet. Now, her real name, we are discussing her experiences with domestic violence. She is sponsored by A Woman's Place, a shelter for women in the Bucks County, Pennsylvania area. Uh, Ifioma Aduba is the executive director who is sitting in during this interview. And uh, Ifioma, please tell us again what's coming up Saturday, June 13th, and people have to, uh, should reach out very quickly to you so they can participate. Saturday, June 13th, is a really exciting and unique event called Walk a Mile in Her Shoes. Um, it's pulled together by the International Men's March to Stop Rape, Sexual Assault, and Gender Violence. Um, so it's a, a really unique opportunity to engage men in particular in this issue. And so the idea is that the men come and they get um, a pair of red high heel shoes and they walk a mile to show their support for ending, ending violence against women. Um, so, yes, registration is happening right now. There's a deadline of uh, the 31st if people are interested in the T-shirt, but people can certainly sign up after the 31st to participate in the event. We just can't guarantee T-shirts for them. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a great opportunity, and, you know, uh, everybody else can be involved, too. Women are coming out. They get to walk in comfortable shoes. So. <laughs> who came up <laughs> with this? With my running shoes on. I, but, um, who came yeah, up with this? Who, who came up with this idea? It's actually been around for a little while, and there's a great group of women. Um, they call themselves the Philly Wham Girls, oh. who came to us and said they wanted to organize the event for us. But they had come across this model of this event that the International Men's March started. And um, and so they've organized, um, I think it, they've organized the event about once a year, but this year they came to us and asked if they could do it to benefit a woman's place. Uh, which we're really excited about. So it should be a great day, June 13th, and have a nice crowd out. And, yeah, we've got Preston from President Steve will be there. Uh, so it should be a lot of fun. Excellent. I think it's a great thing. Please give us the uh, the website address for uh, A Woman's Place. Yes, the web address is www.awomansplace.org. Excellent. Janet, how many times did you try to leave your husband before you finally were able to make the break? Was it two, three? Could you tell us? Oh, my goodness. Maybe about eight to 12. Eight to 12 times. And how long were you married? Uh, three and a half years. Three and a half years, and you were together? Together six. Together together six. six. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you were trying basically almost twice a year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you <were tr> yeah. <laughs> Was there certain times of the year? Did Christmas look better? or? <laughs> Oh, my goodness. I, uh, I, I don't know how to answer that one, but, yeah, that's... that's no, that's... A, it, it, trust me, it's definitely not a judgment. I'm just trying to fit twice a year. Think, okay, when does she leave? Spring, summer, whatever works. But... Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, please, go ahead. I was going to say, and so when I finally did it and it took him to court, believe me, it wasn't just shock to him. It was a shock to me, too. I guess... <laughs> I thought I would do it. I guess he would tell you that you'll never leave me. You know, this is it. You're, you you can't do it. You've tried 11 times up to this point. There will never be a 12th. You can't do it. That's what he threw at you, right? No. No? He just, uh, 
he would more or less say, well, you know, if, if when you're, if you have nowhere to go and, you know, you're sleeping on the floor somewhere and you don't have this, you don't have that, that's on you. Maybe you chose wrong. Wow. Okay, so an arrogance to it on top of it all. Interesting. Yeah. Did you plan these escapes, so to speak, or were they spur of the moments? Initially, they were planned, and I would have suitcases, and I, you know, I would, I would hide clothes and trash bags behind the shed, um, and I just became exhausted. And when I finally did it, there was no planning; it was just gone. You just went. Now, did, now, were you working at this time, working outside the home? Yes. Okay. Did any of your co-workers notice anything? Did anyone come up to you and say, hey, there's something going on, I see it, do you want to talk to me about it? I really only had one co-worker that I was fairly close to, and she would always say to me, you know, before you met him, you know, you were at the gym, you were doing this, you were full of life, you were vibrant. I never see you smile. I never see you happy. You always look, you always look so down. Uh, I would really hide it. I would hide it well. Uh, you know, like I, I interacted with her, but with everybody else, it was a big smile. Now, this is this is a question, and I'm curious because it, what he's doing, what a husband does in this situation or a partner, seems to, in my opinion, be defeating of what I would want as a man. So I'm going to kind of put it this way: Did this was this affecting your intimacy? I mean, this could not have been a turn on to you. Was he still? attracted to you still wanting to be with you i mean to me it what he's doing in my mind is defeating the purpose of you know what you're looking for as a man to be with your wife or your girlfriend and you know that's why i'm asking was this something that you know it, it was eroding the intimacy or not affecting it oh mentally it was uh i would just go along with it as a mechanism for marriage but yeah. I was incredibly unhappy. Yeah, interesting, because if he's not going to pick up on the fact that he's hurting you mentally and physically, why the hell should he pick up on the fact that you have checked out sexually? Oh, yeah, it makes complete It makes sense. I mean, he was that into himself and what he wanted and what he needed that he wasn't even aware that you had checked out in just about every area. He didn't care. He would know I was checked out, and he would uh, get frustrated and... You know, we talk about what I was doing and what I was lacking and how it was causing issues in intimacy. Wow. So then the 12th try, like 12 days of Christmas, the 12th try, uh, you made your move. Now, again, was this one something you planned, the final one here? Was this spur of the moment? Had you looked up a woman's place? Had you gone online and tried to find a shelter or someplace you might be able to go? I had called a woman's place and I talked to um, counselors, uh, worked out, you know, what's going on, that it isn't my fault. But the last was a spur of the moment where it's finally, you know, I consider myself an intelligent woman, but you know, when I, I know it, this has zero to do with intelligence and everything to do with emotions, but mm-hmm. it finally clicked that this guy is not my friend, he's my foe, and he's going to kill me. So I uh, contacted the last two friends standing. And uh, pitched a ride to the lawyer's office. Wow! Congratulations on that best movie you've ever made. And did, of course, the backlash is going to come. Uh, and we have cell phones. I assume you, when you weren't home for dinner that night, the cell phone started ringing. Oh my goodness! Uh, I'd, whenever I'd go somewhere, I would only be gone for three hours, and then the text message. But it would be like getting a watching a teenager text message. You know how they can just do it so fast. It's ding, yeah. ding, ding, ding. Because <laughs> he had zero social skills, everything was on IM or a text message. And there would be paragraphs on paragraphs. It was like he was writing a novel. Wow. I can't do that. My fingers are too big. They hit the buttons. I go all over the place with that. You get these little things from me like, are you coming home? Love you. Need food from Wawa. I mean, that's what you get in my house. Um, so when you made the move, and I want to talk more about the experience you had here at a woman's place, they brought you in. Was there, obviously, I, I assume they have a plan of when someone first comes in, and if you only can speak better on that in a moment. You were brought in. Was the plan what's next? We need clothing for you, or were you leaving everything? Uh, 
because you weren't coming with children, so that made it easier, obviously. But were there things you needed back at your home? Yes. Uh, you know, I pretty much I, I left with the shirt on my back. Uh, I, I did have the wherewithal to take any, uh, like, my, like my birth certificate. Mm-hmm. He had a copy of my old driver's license in his, uh, in his wallet that I grabbed. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, so I tried to get as many uh, vital items as possible before I left. Everything else, you know, was just ancillary. I, you know, I, I just pretended like it was all lit in a fire. One thing I forgot to ask, and I'm curious on this, uh, I assume the police would come to the house or you would have times where the police came into the situation. What was their way of handling i mean cops will tell you domestics are the thing they don't want to be involved in it's dangerous it's personal it really in some ways it's a no-win situation you can help the person who's being violated and then the person who's being violated might turn on you so it's been done what were your experiences with the police i never called the police are you serious i am shocked on that one I went to the hospital and I never would press charges because I felt that I would be a traitor and, you know, he would always say things like snitches get stitches. Wow. Tremendous loyalty and he has the rapping skills. Well, the, the rhyming skills of a rapper in some ways. Kind of weird. <laughs> it, it's kind of, I mean, that's what comes up with it. That's amazing. In all of those years, you went to the hospital uh, a few times? About uh, three. Three times? Three times. And yeah. did did he accompany you? No, no. Okay. No. Then that's what the last time he did, and I saw him. I told him like I have to go to the hospital, and if I can't lie to them, I can't hide what's happening. You need to help me, and he left. So I went to the hospital and I said what happened, and that's how I was able to uh, engage a woman's place and get their assistance to help me take them to PFA court. Excellent. Janet, we're going to take a break for the final segment here, and we're going to get into the meat and bones of the positive now, the rebirth of Janet and the help that a woman's place gave. You're listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. Be back in a few moments. Welcome back to Life Unedited, the final segment here for the show. Today, my guest has been uh, Janet, not her real name. She is discussing her experiences with domestic violence. Uh, some people might wonder, why did John pick the, the song here, I'm Coming Out, by Diana Ross? Again, besides the fact I like it from seventh grade, reminds me of that. But in all honesty, I thought it fit because of Janet's story. And I, and I know there's many, many stories out there, such as Janet's, where a woman is able to escape a situation of domestic abuse, get her children out, whatever, and then get a rebirth in her life. And you know most go on to then help other women, other domestic violence people, so they can move forward. And I think that's a tremendous thing. And I like the fact that this song, in my opinion, again, represents that rebirth. Because I don't think anyone can go through something this tragic this dramatic come through it and not feel like a totally different person than they did from the beginning janet um when you finally came out how long did you stay at a woman's place did they were you allowed to stay a week or two or how does that work i didn't uh stay at a woman's place i uh i received their services i would go to the facility i was very fortunate uh, to have a family friend. Uh, like I said, um, I had two friends standing. One of them let me have a place to stay. It was very fortunate. Now, what was the situation with your soon-to-be ex-husband at that point? Was he able to track you down? I would, again, have to assume that wasn't difficult to find you. Uh, were there any scary moments there? Did he go crazy? How did you handle that? He mostly uh, actually picked up the phone and called me from... Uh, numbers like voice numbers or um you know like it's a california area code uh from like a tech staff 
and I, you know, I wouldn't pick up. He would get his, his uh, some mutual friends, family to contact me, but I just wouldn't respond. He got one uh, ex-friend to say, oh, he was in a car accident, and he's, you know, he's going to get dental surgery. He's in a lot of pain, because that's the stuff that would always work on me before, right? He'd work on the nurturing side, wow. the aspect of me that wants to rescue, because I couldn't rescue myself. I'm amazed that anyone bought into the story would actually give you a call on that. Yeah, I got friend requests on Facebook, or, you know, and it was, there was never, ever an apology. It was always for me. Now, Ifeoma, um, when a woman first leaves uh, her partner because of domestic violence or verbal violence, however you want to define it there, that's the most dangerous time, correct? That is true, yeah. And how many panic would you say and obviously janet i wouldn't say panic but she went back 11 times it took for her to get to the 12th to finally get out of there that's very common too correct yes on average um somebody tries to leave seven times before they actually leave for good now if you let me ask um concerning a woman's place we'll just kind of run through it real quick with janet's situation Janet calls, Janet comes to you, she comes into the shelter. What protocols are started there? Well, anytime somebody calls our hotline, we immediately first start in terms of trying to assess what, really what their situation is and what their level of risk might be and, and start safety planning from there. We do, um, and, and you know, in Janet's case, she had a family friend who was willing to let her stay with them and we're going to try and help people through what those options may be and help them think through what, what options exist. Um, we'll bring people into the shelter if that's, that's the option that they have, the only option that they have. But we do try to help people think through other options. Um, being in the shelter is less than ideal. It's eight families that are all in crisis. Mm -hmm. And so if there's some other place that somebody may be able to stay that is safe, um, we'll encourage them to access that option. We also want to make sure that if people have other places to stay, we have we do our best to keep the beds available for people who don't have any options because we have to turn a lot of people away each year as it is. Um, but we'll walk through safety planning first to really make sure that wherever so wherever Janet was going to end up, how do you, what do you need, um, what, what can you do to keep yourself safe, um, what supports do we need to have in place? And what next steps are we going to take? And how can we stand with her and walk with her through that process? Janet, how long ago was this situation taken care of? How long ago did this happen, may I ask? A few years ago. So? Well, yeah, around about two years ago. And I would say it's only been recently that I'm not scared of my own shadow. That's great. What, what have you done for yourself? I mean, obviously you've been in counseling, correct? Yes. Okay, so that's your pretty intense counseling. You've learned a lot of things about yourself. Yes. You've learned a lot of things about your ex-husband that there's just issues that there was no way you could possibly have fixed. Right. Now, there, I would say uh, one of the best things that happened to me is when I went to a woman's place, their empowerment program, and I took their writing class, and mm. We did a, a lot of meditative work. We expressed our feelings. We would even talk about our inner child, where all of this started, and it was very liberating, and I made a lot of great connections with other strong women, great. and that's what really set me on the right path because I took my power back. That's excellent. So you felt that shift. You can, you can identify within yourself feeling that shift of taking the power back and getting Janet back, a new and improved Janet. Yes, the best version of me yet. That's excellent. And have other family members kind of come around now, maybe his family members, anybody else kind of working their way around, trying to find out how you're doing, what's going on? The last contact that I had was probably last September, and I took the final step of just, I blocked everybody, even people that I was remotely friendly with, because I can't go back there. I'm not healthy enough to end. I have too many things that I need to work work out, so I decided to choose my well-being as the number one priority. That's good. Most people never do that. They try to take care of other people in a way they're trying to heal themselves from whatever, but they never really find the path. They're always throwing themselves out there for others. 
I've seen that. Um, for you then, are you still in the area? I'm not looking for specifics, but are you still in the general area? Have you taken yourself out of the area? Is, has he called or bothered you in the last six to ten months? I have not, uh, because I have blocked all communications, I have not heard anything from him this year. Excellent. And I, I decided to not run away from this area. I feel that I could really continue to learn and help women here. So uh, I'm still within. Excellent, Sue. So then you're definitely giving back, which is part of what it's about, isn't it, Ifeoma? One woman breaks through, gets stronger, she pulls the next woman up, and so on down the line. Absolutely. I think it's really, um, you know, as much as people like to use the word empowerment, it's really what holds a lot of meaning in the work that this organization has done for almost four years now is really recognizing that there's nothing wrong, like there was never anything wrong with Janice. There's nothing wrong with the people that we're serving. They don't need to be fixed. Um, there's not some sort of medical issue that they're dealing with. Um, it's really just kind of being that support to them, helping them um, think through, kind of get through that noise um, and find that the best Janet that Janet can be and really empowering them to choose that and to choose to be that and not put um, and not sacrifice their own well-being for somebody else who really is, I think she said earlier and I said it best, was not her friend. Yeah, your friends won't desert you normally, you hope, and uh, they would listen and try to understand. I, I, if you only, do you think it's such, it's still such a taboo topic, domestic violence I mean, it definitely wasn't something people talked about 25, 30 years ago openly. Uh, police did not want to get involved. They would walk away normally. Uh, are we breaking through that, or are we still a little bit in the closet with it? Um, I think we're, we've definitely made strides, right? There's definitely more conversation about it. And, um, and I think, you know, again, we've seen some of that in this past year when, you know, with the Ray Wright situation. Um, I think the thing that we have to get past as a society is the fear. I think part of what allows us to try and stereotype what a victim looks like or what an abuser looks like, that part of what drives us to come up with that, those, um, that kind of cookie-cutter answer is that we are, uh, we're afraid that it could be us, um, that there's, there's a real fear that stops us from um, owning the fact that it does, it can cross all sorts of lines. And so, you know, I would imagine if, you know, and Janet talking about this conversation she had yesterday, that part of what is, you know, part of what's behind a statement like, oh, well, it takes two to tango is that if I say that, and I know that, and I believe that I am never going to participate in that tango, then I should be in the clear. And um, as opposed to having to really face the reality that this is, a really insidious issue that is, exists in our community, and um, you know that there's we don't have to always in fear, but we need to acknowledge that chance that, that we could be at some level of risk. And how do we support each other and hold each other accountable to make our community as a whole safer? I think we need programs starting in elementary school on teach boys how to treat women. Treat their mothers, treat their grandmothers, treat their aunts, treat everyone. Then I think it has to graduate up to the middle school and high school years where we have to teach them how to treat young ladies now. Open the car door, do this, do that. We have to teach them how to put a suit on, how to pull their pants up, how to walk down the promenade aisle. <laughs> Deadly serious. I watch this all the time. But uh, the sad part is, all jokes aside, that's the truth. We lack men or male figures in the household in a lot of cases. And where does a boy learn to grow up to be a man? What cues does he take? Where does he see it from? He sees it from athletes, rappers, entertainers. Not necessarily, and those aren't real people in the sense that it's not reality. And I think we need, and maybe I put too much on the schools, maybe I'm wrong, but I figure if you want to be a school teacher, you must want to help kids, and maybe that's one of the things we should look at, teaching some proper roles, a proper way of caring and expressing your love to a woman, and how to, I guess, just take care of them in the sense that, that that's 
it's innate to men, I think, to want to do that. I just think we need a lot of help right now because there just really is not that family atmosphere. Ifeoma, what do you think on that? I think we absolutely need to start early looking at how do we build healthy relationships? How do we interact with each other in a healthy way? Um, I think there, again, I don't think there's clear answers. You know, I think um, in terms of, you know, what images our, our kids see, I, you know, I think my thing, my kids see a lot. I, you know, I've, there's a certain part of me that's given up attempting to control that because they move <laughs> much faster than I do. And, but, you know, I, some of the most disturbing things I've seen have not been in rap videos or in rap music, but they've been on the Disney Channel. And oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think that that's, you know, you know, that's part of, if we're really, really honest, it's kind of, you know, getting out of that idea of like, oh, this is what, you know, like that idea that the bad things happen in the city, but here in the suburbs, everything's going to be okay. And, you know, we don't listen to rap music, we listen to pop music or whatever it may be. And I think, you know, we make it, we put ourselves at risk when we're not really just being attentive all the time. You know, at some point you might want to talk about Mike about his experience going through a training on domestic violence and pop culture because Ooh. I'm telling you, there are images and so many things that we just overlooked. It was normal, and, um, and I think some of that has come back to haunt us now. So. I will reach out to Mike sometime during mid to late summer to bring that on. We have to wrap this up real quick, and I apologize for that. Janet, I want to say thank you very much for coming on and telling your story. I know it wasn't easy, but again, I have the utmost respect for who you are and what you've done. Uh, Ifeoma, before we cut out, can you give us, please, the phone number for the Crisis Center as well as the uh, website address for a woman's place? Certainly. Our hotline is 800-220-8116, and people are available 24 hours a day. And you can also find us online at www.awomansplace.org. Excellent. Ladies, you have a nice weekend. Again, I appreciate you taking the time. And, Janet, good luck with everything. Thank you. Thanks, John. Mm-hmm.